Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 162. Thank you for joining us. Today, Jordan returns to the Colby Cast along with my wife, Maggie, to discuss Latin. Classical programs are always talking about the importance of Latin in the curriculum, but today we get to delve a bit more into some of those benefits, along with valuable information about learning and teaching Latin. I'm not sure what could be more enjoyable than sitting down with Bonnie, Jordan, and my wife for this conversation, so I hope that you'll enjoy the show as well. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, Colby homeschooling mom of four lads and lasses, liturgical musician, popcorn, and podcast fanatic. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. And I'm Jordan. As a product of homeschooling, I'm proud to teach Greek and Latin for Colby Online and serve as the alumni and public relations director. I get to start this week off with a recording with some of my favorite people, Stephen and Maggie Hayden and Jordan Almanzar. Hello, everyone. Good to see you. Morning, Bonnie. Good morning, Bonnie. It's nice to be here. Good morning. Happy to be here. Jordan, we had an interesting conversation at my house last night about the usage of a colloquialism common in my area of the country, and that would be y'all. I I heard that you were using it y'alls, and I felt that I needed to address that with you because there's there's y'all and there's all y'all, but I haven't heard y'alls with the S on the end. Can you can you uh, use that in context for me? <laughs> yeah, um, I hope y'all are having a good day today. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, English is the only is the only uh, Indo-European language that doesn't have that distinction between you and you all. But I didn't grow up in any. I mean, I'm not from the South, and so we I, I didn't grow up saying y'all ever. <laughs> um, my mom, my mother did. She she says y'all and and those things, but. Um, so I kind of making fun of it. Uh, I use y'alls in class. So that's where they're getting yalls. it. <laughs> love it. Love it. Well, I grew up saying y'all, but I quickly worked to get rid of that when I would visit my cousins in Chicago up north, you know, to get rid of that. So I didn't have that accent that they would like to tease me about. But it's come back. It's back. My y'all is back to stay. I'm rarely an all y'all person. Every once it's, in a while. It, I think it, it's always you guys. We I, I hear you guys, you guys up here. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of. Kind of funny. That's going to get canceled one of these days, I think, because of the guys right, part yeah. of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's been my uh, default as well. So now it's more y'all. We'll see what happens, how, where that goes. That leads us into a discussion that we started on our previous episode with Agustina Cavazotto talking about languages. We're continuing that conversation today, this time about Latin. Uh, Jordan, you and I talked about Latin way back in episode seven a long time ago. It's way past time for a, more of a discussion on that, a revisit to that and expansion. So we've brought Maggie in to, to have that conversation with everybody. Let's catch up with Maggie a bit. How have you been, Maggie? It's been a little bit since you've been on the Colby cast. Yeah. Hi, I've been doing well, working on a lot of curriculum things and um, excited about some of our the new books and products that we're coming out with in the fall. And I finished teaching my first year of Latin with Colby this year. And that was a lot of fun. I just wrapped up. I had a Latin three section. So we had, you know, finals a couple weeks ago and I'm going to miss those kids. It was a lot of fun. I heard you you came in, took care of Jordan's class once or twice too, that my kids were in. They were happy to meet you and get to experience your your class as well. So that was worked out. It was fun. It was really nice to get to meet some of the uh, students that were in, you know, different classes and a couple of kids that I actually was um I subbed for this year told me that I'll have them next year and siblings of some of those kids so it's kind of nice to know a little bit more going in who students are and um talking to the kids so it's always a lot of fun to share my love of Latin with them so where where does that come from your love of Latin um really from my father he he knew uh, how to read Latin fluently and he loved he loved learning you know reading different books in latin he i think he learned it primarily to read saint thomas but he had an incredible um wealth of uh latin knowledge and i re- he also because of that knew all sorts of other languages they kind of he was naturally good at languages but he because so many of them are based in latin um he he just picked them up quickly and i remember one day learning working really hard. I met a priest who um, spoke Swahili 
and learn the Our Father in Swahili. And I thought that I might be able to, um, tr- you know, speak to him in a language that he didn't know because I knew it wasn't a language based in Latin. So I came running home and started to say it to him in Swahili and he um, responded with some Swahili of his own. <laughs> so I then realized that the benefits of Latin and languages went beyond just the romance languages. It's just a habit of thinking and he could retain things that he had learned and he thought about it. And I remember just, I kept working at it and one day it just sort of all clicked and it was fun. I always wanted to be good at it, but it took a while. I wasn't a natural student. I had to work through um, several years of high school and then in college. And then when I started teaching, it really kind of took off. And I just, I just, my love was always there, but then my ability kind of caught up and I was able to really go pretty deeply into Latin and then from there into Greek. Where did your father's interest in Latin come from? We've always wondered that. Yeah. Uh, he and his, his, my grandfather was a farmer and or a farm. He basically built farm equipment. Um, and he was, I think, a second generation uh, from Sweden. But his three sons all uh, started out their education in a minor seminary and then went on to become philosophers. So they certainly, you know, they, they, they were exposed to it in school, I think, in both their grade school experience and then further in college and then in their studies past college. So, okay. Jordan, I know it's come up a number of times on the Colby cast, but for those just joining the conversation, would you remind us of your path to teaching Latin for Colby? Yeah, I would have never expected it when I started learning the language, but I didn't start learning. I didn't have the opportunity until graduate school, actually. So I, I really felt like I was catching up to other students. And I realized I had a professor that I really admired who had studied in Germany and he could do research in Greek, in Latin, German. French, like whatever he needed, really. And where I was doing my my graduate studies, they offered these languages, including Syriac, which is a language I studied. It's it's basically Aramaic, but um, it, it's Aramaic written in cursive. And there are early translations of it. So at one point, I was taking four la- the four languages at the same time. So I kind of prioritized those during my master's degree because I knew I wanted to do research in the languages. But your first time through and and learning uh, quickly the way that you do in a college course, you take Latin for two years and and maybe a third year of a more advanced reading course, I don't think you really make it your own. At least I didn't. It wasn't like my, I, I, I wasn't that great at the languages. It wasn't until like Maggie getting the opportunity to teach where it really became fun. And and so somewhat like her father who wanted to read it for a specific author, it was kind of like I, I knew to read certain things. I wanted to read them in the languages that they were. And so I got to that point, uh, but it was really back in 2014 when Colby needed a Latin teacher and I raised my hand and said, I'll do it and started teaching all levels of Latin all at once. And after a couple of years of that, you kind of outgrow the textbooks even, and, and they become somewhat boring and you want to supplement and you start reading Latin on your own. And so I'm not, I don't have a degree in classics, which I think it's really rare that I've had so many chances to, to teach the languages. Um, but I'm really, really grateful and look at it as it's just been a gift from, from God to be able to get better and better at the languages through teaching them. Let's talk about the benefits of learning Latin. You've mentioned some of them already, the, primarily the, the thinking that, that has already been come up, the, the way of thinking and the ordering of, of your thoughts. So can we start there and maybe build upon that? Some of the, when, when you encounter people who are um, either skeptical or scared of taking on the study of Latin, where do you start with them? I would say with uh, starting students, you know, encouraging them to get started with Latin, usually at the beginning, they're excited for about three weeks. <laughs> but um, as it starts to get a little harder, you really do need to kind of give them the encouragement and um, the focus on the kinds of uh, benefits they're going to get out of it. And I've found 
that um, you really need to make it fun and engaging. A lot of kids quit Latin early because it seems like it's just all drilling and they don't see the point. So sharing their vision, why they're doing what they're doing. And, and I also just try to make it fun. I really, that's one of the things I love about teaching is sharing with students and making it fun for them. Yeah, I guess I guess that incorporates maybe introducing some some topics other than just killing galls at some point. Then, right? So, <laughs> that's a reference to Henley. Yeah. Okay. I, I I mean, even I was yesterday thinking about it at um it at mass, and and we use consubstantial with the father, and then you're thinking consubstantial. What does that mean? And you can put that together um so what is substance all these like real philosophical ideas and i'll tell you i i think for me one of the hidden benefits of of learning latin is that i can now in english um really distinguish between what is latin and what is germanic or what is what is old english and that's kind of an interesting thing because uh you, we we can use some words interchangeably, like Holy Spirit and Holy Ghost. I'm, I'm sure there's some kind of, they, they say there's a distinction, maybe ghost is more like a person, yet it has connotations in English, but it's from German Geist, it goes back that branch, but we have both of them in English. And I heard Jorge Borges, the, the Argentine poet, talking about this recently. I mean, he was speaking in English and talking about, he loves English because it's half Latin, half German, and it like opens up then all these possibilities to to use those words. So I think that was a hidden benefit. And I'll tell you, the listeners may not realize Latin is interesting. It doesn't have, for example, definite articles. So you can't say the really in Latin. It has like ways of, I mean, there's like workarounds, especially in later Latin, but you have to infer, does this mean the goal or a goal and those sort of things. That was maybe one of the most surprising things to me in learning Latin. Um, I'd be curious to know what if if Maggie can remember back to the, her student days, something like that. Maybe that was surprising that that the listeners might not know about Latin or might not expect. Yeah, I do remember um, that same thing, uh, dealing with the articles and being surprised that they were not there. The other thing that really surprised me was the use of pronouns and, and how, how different pronouns are used. I actually found it really helpful because we use pronouns in English all the time um, without really thinking about all the distinctions, but you have to make these distinctions between is it reflexive or personal? And then whether you're going to, you, you can't just automatically see a word and say, this is oh, this is my, so it's going to be this form. You have to think, is it personal? Is it reflexive? Is this a, something that I can only, you know, that that there's limitations in the English where I will say of, of me, this is actually an of me as opposed to a my. And so you have to actually even infer from that, like what is the, how how should I use this? So that was, that was a really interesting um, part. And the other one that was a little later was the use of when. Because our word when in English is used for such a wide variety of things. Um, and I love teaching that concept to my students and showing them that they naturally make distinctions. I tell them stories and they'll say, what question will you, would you ask? And they say when, and it's like, but that when is not the same when as the when of you know time. We, we use that word in different ways. And the Latin, it's the word cum. Um, but it, there's cum and there's cum and they've been kind of mixed over over time. And so it, one of them has a kind of causal sense and the other or, or circumstantial sense and the other has a time sense. And so it's just that was a really fascinating thing to think about this word that I used all the time in English. I had really no concept of the intentionality behind using that word. And now when I say when. I think about it actually. I think, how am I using it here? And um, and it really that has been the kind of eye opening um, thing, just seeing those differences between the two languages, and um, that was a really exciting thing for me. It, it makes it so vivid, like, and some of that you can't translate it. It can't come across exactly um, 
because we don't have a way to do it the, the way they do you know certain things certain things i won't get into too many details about latin but but the way so some people wonder the value of learning latin well if we care about the authors all the way up until the, the late 1700s into the 1800s when everything or much was still being written in latin you want to be told what those guys said by somebody else or or do you want to meet them and learning latin is is the ability to meet them and then actually appreciate them and the styles and the, and the certain turns of phrase that, that they'll use and things that you could never translate. You could never see it in translation. So that's one of the huge, huge rewards of learning Latin. Yes, absolutely. I When I was doing my uh, finals this year with my students, one of them, we spent time in an oral final component of the course going through the words of consecration and looking at the intentionality of each verb in the Roman canon. And it was one of the most fun and illuminating experiences. And it was, it was not at all like a test. We were both excited noticing the verb tense choices and when there were participles and talking about why that might be. Um, and that was just one of the most fun moments I've ever had in teaching. But also, I think, is what I want students to see. It's meeting the authors, meeting, thinking about what does this mean? You know, putting it into English, you just, you lose something that when you see it in the the Latin there, it's just, it's beautiful. It's exciting. Do you find that they, that students, do they have a hard time believing that they will eventually reach that point where they won't need to be translating word for word or even, you know, you know, a sentence at a time to get the context yeah, I think I think so. I think you know sometimes it's hard in the moment, but one of the things I always love doing at the start of the year is giving them a challenge text somewhere in the early couple of weeks and they struggle, struggle, struggle with it and they say this is too hard and I can't figure out these words and and they're trying to break apart everything and analyze everything and it's painstaking and they say it's the hardest hour of my life. And at the end of the year, I give them the same passage, but a little farther on, you know, but the same author, same style. And I give it to them and they rushed through it in 10 minutes and had a perfect translation. And then I pulled up the passage from earlier in the year and said, look at this, look at what you've learned. Because uh, I want them to go on. I want them to think about, you know, in the moment, this was hard, but they couldn't do this at the start of the year. And at the end of the year, it was easy. Yeah, I, I remember when I showed it when I lived in Germany and I showed the, um, one of the textbooks to a Latin professor there, an American textbook, and he kind of laughed because it said, you're about to begin your Latin journey. And he was like, hey, you Americans, everything's a journey and you have to. But I, I do think in a way it has to be um, experienced like that with with students, because uh, it's a long it's a long ride. To, you, you've got to go the two years to get through all the grammar. And when, when I was learning, I, I remembered I wanted to see the end of it. I just felt like I, did, I didn't really know English grammar that well. I didn't know parts of speech and, and everything. And so I'm, I'm thinking, when is this ever going to end? We just keep getting all these new things. And so those little successes that they, they get, like what Maggie's describing, if, if they get, it's a big success, actually. But that gives them hope for this journey to keep going. And man, I've I've had students by the by the end of who will take it for four years, four years of high school, and maybe they even had some before. They're as they're as good as me. They or they're they're fantastic at Latin. I, I have a, a couple right now just from this past year that I would say they're they're probably a, a they're where I'm at. We see the same things. And that's really, really fun when they get to that that point. I mean Latin is is an equalizer and and so there's no if if somebody is you know is a little bit you know, kind of full of themselves and they think I'm great at languages or whatever latin will level them at some point it just happens and and so i always say you'll never conquer latin you have to be conquered by it you have to, it has to be that you become and you you learn to think and you conform to latin because you can't force it into what you're thinking and so when we talk about the benefits of of it teaches you how to think and all of that that that's that's really what it is you can you can be conformed 
to the modes of, of thinking of the great philosophers and historians and theologians. You can't help but think that way, as Maggie was describing with whenever she says when, you know, and I do that with uh, whenever I say that for like a in, what, what's called an indirect statement. In English, we just say, I think that we say the word that, which is indicating something over there, and then we just repeat what it is. Latin does it in a really beautiful way. And so those kind of things get stuck in your mind. And I think it makes you into a better writer, better reader, or everything. I mean, it's, I could go on and on about the benefits, but students that keep taking it and go that far, to me, it does. I've always thought, why take the two years? You, you don't, you just, when you get done with the second year, you're to the point where now you can enjoy it. Now you can use it. And so any students or anyone who's thinking about jumping off the Latin bandwagon who's listening to this, I would say try that third year, the third year with Maggie, and you will be hooked and you will have it forever after that. That's absolutely true. If you do the two years and stop at that point, you don't have the, um, you have done all, you've done all the grammar, uh, all the basic grammar but you haven't really experienced the joy that it can bring you when you read the different authors. And it won't stay the same way because many, you know, and, and there are benefits to, to being able, like, you know, you think now, oh, well, I did it, I checked off the box, I'm done. But if you're going to go on to college and you're going to, you know, and you want to um, go to graduate school and you have to learn a second language, Latin is so many of the you know, like uh, the f philosophy that you have to um, read and study is going to be in Latin and you want to do it in the original language. You have to. Um, and and it's actually the basis of so many other languages. So though I've never had formal Spanish or French or any of the other languages other than Greek, it's the only other language that I've actually picked up a textbook and systematically gone through. Um, I can read almost every other romance language and um, without too much difficulty. And even one time with one concept I was trying to understand in Latin, and it was really a difficult one. And I looked through all the grammar books, nothing was giving me an answer. So I went to the Greek and I was looking for the answer there because I was thinking about the commonality, you know, because the Greek, a lot of the Greek was incorporated into the Latin in some way, still couldn't find it. But then I found a book online in Romanian. And, you know, the letters are kind of like Greek letters, but the um, words are much more and sometimes like a Latin word. And I was able to actually decipher enough to find my answer. So I've never studied Romanian and it was really painstaking, but I was able to figure out this one particular book addressed this particular issue, which was why the E is retained in your fourth a principal part of a you know fourth verb when you're going to the participle form. So it was a very specific thing I wanted to know, and I was able to find it. Um, so that's just an example. So for those who are listening and thinking, well, yeah, I'm, I I want to do languages, but I want to do something practical. You know, Latin is very practical. You know, for anyone, and then medical professions. I mean, there are so many other things. Think about all the careers you could go into. Many science fields have words that have Latin roots, and I see my own children when they're learning their biology terms have always gone back to their Latin and thought about the Latin in those terms. For me, Latin, although just two years at college for Latin was all that I had, but for me, it was the the best way that I learned English was through Latin because I had had grammar, warners and everything in my, you know, in my public school experience, but to, to actually study it in Latin, I could clearly see what was being done with the words. Whereas in English, it just seems like a big hodgepodge when you're looking at things. But then I specifically remember studying for the GRE. Well, you might remember that too, Maggie, every, every Saturday during my senior year or whatever, trying to do one of those practice tests. But Latin was my the only thing that saved me on the the vocabulary sort of sec section because I could see all of those root words and say, okay, this is what this word has to, at least it's where it has to come from, whether it means that anymore in English or not. It has to come from this sort of thing because of the. So I'm I'm only a 
marginally proficient in English, I think, because of Latin. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've noticed that students who do Latin, at least the, the um, when they have that grammar down, they are much better at their English, at their writing. Um, they're actually better thinkers, too, in general. I mean, often they're doing other subjects as well, but I've noticed just that habit of thought and approach to um, to looking at something and breaking it down, problem solving. What do I know? It just it really helps with that. And, um, you know, I think it's no accident. I was looking up what were the what are the score differences? And right now, students who do Latin get about 100 points higher on national tests across the board in in the reading, in the writing and in the math sections that they have. That's the current averages. So that's that's why it's that familiarity with vocabulary that clarity of thought and writing and that clarity of thought and thinking that helps. And, and that what's amazing about that is people might assume, you know, that only the, only the most talented kids or whatever can learn Latin, but that's, that's really not the case. Um, I, I, Reginald Foster, uh, who some people may be, may be familiar with, who was a papal Latinist in America and who was, who's a great Latin teacher, died a few years ago. But I remember uh, a video where he would say, um, any dog in Latin, any, any Roman dog could understand, come here, your dinner is ready. You know, so uh, <laughs> come here, your dinner is ready. The dog is going to come. And, and he was using that to say that, that, we can understand it. We, you definitely, and and there, there, there was a movement against really learning Latin. I think for for a long time, and what they would they would denigrate it by saying, no matter how good you get at Latin, you'll never be even as good as Cicero's kitchen maid at at speaking it or using Latin or whatever. And my thought is, who cares? <laughs> Does it matter? Does it really matter? We we are it. It does something for you personally. And so I think some of these students that are scoring high on these tests and, and things like that, a lot of them probably went through a battle that they will never forget and, and that they came out victorious through in learning Latin. And now they can do anything intellectually. They probably gave them this confidence and stuff they would have never, ever gotten before. So it's a real opportunity for that to prove yourself to yourself. And I know people say that there's value in learning any inflected language, but one of the things that always really appeals to me about Latin is kind of the the not being used in casual conversation any longer aspect of it, because I see in English all the time where words just change, you know, so it's hard to really have a philosophical discussion about the meaning of this word and the, I mean, you can to some extent, but like even the the most maybe this is just a, a corruption but like the interchangeability today of well and good that you know i was chided for all the time by my teachers growing up it's like no well is an adverb and this is good as an adjective and you it's, it's like you can say that as much as you want now but people will will just flip them or you know use them as they 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 want but you're not going to do that with latin i mean you can clearly say well that's the wrong word to use here it's it's incorrect you you have to conform your mind to the subtleties of the the, the meanings and I think when I became a little familiar with Latin, it was one of the fun things for me to do when I could actually have fun with Latin was to try to translate from English to Latin, intentionally using words that said it meant the English word, but I knew it really wasn't the word that I should use, But I mean, which is a bad translation, of course. But the fact that there's that subtlety that even though this means they mean they can be translated as the same word in English, it has a completely different connotation or different different meaning and I, I think maybe you were saying in your class about the word is it to hold to habere or something to uh, where have but oh yes. Has- yes yeah we we have the we had this fun thing because there's so many meanings of the word you know our word have or hold in english is very uh very loose and you know you have different words in latin you have teneo you have habeo and you have the dative of possession, which is like saying instead of I have a horse, there is a horse for me. Um, and I 
loved, you know, teaching that by making the students um, give me the proper the English precisely when they had something to do. So if some one of the students would say, "I have to go to basketball," I would say, "No, no. Which word are you using, and how are you going to use it?" And we talk about, you know, there's basketball for me or whatever it was. It was a um, it's it's a really interesting thing. So I would, you know, it's just another example of how English has um, had that kind of looseness and those words have been corrupted. But, you know, the way they were using it when they would put it into Latin was like uh, they, one student, I when he gave me his sentence, I said, you're holding your house. That's a really odd thing to do. And it was just kind of <laughs> a fun, um, a fun thing to kind of talk about those different meanings. And there is that precision there because it is a dead language. Yeah, it, it is locked in. There, there's a super good quote, and I, I forget I forget it exactly, but but it's a quote about how you, in, if you speak a modern language, you can you can stand up in front of a crowd and, and talk for an hour and not really say anything. But with Latin, this is impossible. And uh, I I fully agree. With, there's debates like in in philosophy and theology classes, um, especially at college. There there'll be a few students who are just always challenging the professor or whatever. Um, and I'm I'm convinced that if classes were being taught in Latin, not that we'd ever go back to that, but just hypothetically, if they were being taught in Latin, those debates wouldn't be there because everyone would be moving the same. Um, and so either if there was a debate that would come to a resolution that everyone would see clearly. One of the, the words um, Stephen and I talked about one time, dubito dubitare, the idea of like doubt, and we translate it as to doubt, but it really means to hesitate, which is, um, you know, it, it's in, in Latin, the, the, the context, you, you can tell what's better, but it's typically to hesitate. And it's, it's hesitating before options or whatever and then you just translate it as doubt it makes you think just disbelief or whatever or lack of belief there are so many words like that that if we were seeing the precision and and and, and looking them up in good dictionaries latin dictionaries and seeing them the way they've been used over time i think a lot of this ambiguity and and debate and all of that would be Everything would be much more precise, and we would know things and see them clearly. I just love—I love that. I've, and it was probably with uh, the story of doubting Thomas, I, uh, maybe that we were talking about about that. Where, I mean, because when you say doubting Thomas, you think he's—he's he's, in English. I immediately think that disbelief sort of thing. You know, it's like he shame on him for not believing the words of of our Lord. You know, and and demanding these things, but. You, if it's a hesitation, if it's like, wait a second here, you know, he was here in the flesh and this is, you know, I haven't seen this. Well, maybe it's not unreasonable to hesitate before just believing, you know, being told somebody was actually brought back from the dead in their body. And, you know, these things were happening. So it's, but, you know, without, Without that sort of study of the Latin or of of looking at those distinctions, I wouldn't even think of it. You know, I wouldn't. It would just be this word has this connotation to me, so I'm going to throw it out there. But it really allows you to to look at what the thought is behind it, what the what's really going on when you've you've got that study of language. I love it. Yeah, go, all the way um, going almost full circle to what uh, what Bonnie started with, with the idea of y'alls, you know, um, when you still have it in like the King James with the thee and the thou, you have this distinction, but I always read the little book of Philemon or Philemon, as you might know it as, um, but I always read that with students every year. There's at least one group that I, I read it with because it's really important in that story to distinguish who is who is St. Paul writing to. So it's Paul and Timothy, and they they name several individuals, and they say unto the church that's in your house. And, and right there, when they say the church that's in your house, it switches to singular. So it's one of the three individuals he names. And then throughout the letter, it's, it's singular, uh, and then, then it switches to plural again at the end. So just that little seeing second person singular second person plural it makes a big difference i can i can uh 
hesitate on the that I can dwell on that question immediately with students and, and it jumps right out to them because now they're looking for it. The verbs are singular, the pronouns are singular, and Paul, so St. Paul is writing, even though he names three individuals and a church, he starts writing to one of them. And that becomes like makes even just that brings you a lot closer. To, to the meaning behind the letter, just seeing that. Whereas in a modern English translation, you wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't be able to, to see that. Reading the Bible in Latin gets taken, I mean, it takes shots from both sides of the things because experts in New Testament stuff, they're like, yeah, but Latin, it's a translation. Why don't you read it in Greek? And then there's other people who are like, yeah, but it's, it's just Latin and, and we have modern translations. Why go through all the work? But I think re reading the Bible in Latin is one of my favorite things. In fact, there are some, in some ways, I prefer it over Greek, even. Not that I, and I mean, I personally prefer it because it's, uh, it's easier for me. I know, the, I know much more Latin vocabulary, and it's, it's, I don't have to look things up. I can just enjoy reading it. So I think that's, even if that is a, there was a point where I said that in my own Latin journey, if all I ever do with Latin is, is I can read the Bible in Latin, it would have all been worth it. And, and I think anybody should make that as their goal and read the Latin Bible. Right. Yeah. And there is actually a really easy way to do that. And I've, I think that too, and I've encouraged my students um, in that this last year and um in my class, and then I've done this in past years as well in teaching students, but I've I've given them a challenge to read the Psalms. We start with Psalms every day for a set period of time. And this last year in my class, I challenged them for 30 days, but I um, challenged my son to read one Psalm a day until he completed all 150. And that was just, and it was simply read. It was, we had, the the process was he would read it in the Vulgate in, you know, in Latin, and then he'd read it in English in the Due Reims. So it should be close, you know, to that. And then he just repeats that every single day. And all the students I've had who done that talked about how, how at first it was just kind of a frustrating exercise. I'm reading those words, but I'm not really understanding. Why, why am I doing this? Is, you know, I could just read it in English. Um, but if they stick with it after a while, they start just picking it up and say, oh, yeah, I, I, I knew generally what was said. So they're actually starting to internalize the Latin and not even have to translate it and just know what it means. So it really it really isn't if anyone who has uh, like even the first two years of Latin down, they do that. Um, they'll actually get better. And it's just a 10 minute commitment every evening. Yeah. Wow. Most of the Latin that I would read or, or could kind of read after my classes were, were the ecclesiastical Latin, the, the church Latin, so I could read the the, the canons and, and things like that. But I assume that one of the advantages for the most part in Latin as well is that you're not getting these turns of phrase. I think, Jordan, again, we've talked about this, like raining cats and dogs, you know, or or whatever. So I'm sure there are things like that that come up in the text. But that would just seem so different to me than like trying to learn modern French, where you have to figure out, well, how do French people say this thing? What idiom it is that they use where in Latin you're looking more, I guess this is the the static sort of nature of Latin, but I would assume that it's not, not a focus on those things in any of the Latin courses, except like Martin of Denmark was something about what is it? The circle on the the sign indicates the wine in the wine cellar or something like that. Yeah, is that always right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I actually brought that up with my students this year and they said, what? That's what every circle means in geometry. So I don't think it must be the same thing. <laughs> geometry would be my favorite course. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about this too, about how learning Latin is like learning to play the piano, you know, the, the rudiments of that, the foundational things about playing the piano and going up. Yeah. It's like, it gives you everything. You're not limited. It's not in just one certain key, like that, that sort of thing. And it's all the, you get the theory behind music and everything. If you become really good at, at that instrument, 
then it's very easy, I think, to to transfer that over to guitar, to trumpet, to whatever. And I the, I met a man in Germany. I've probably talked about him before, a, a teacher there, a language teacher, and he was an older guy, knew over 20 languages. He didn't know how many languages he knew off the top of his head. Um, and and he would sit and read in in everything. He spoke English perfectly. He was German, of course, and um, but he, he would have a stack of books and they'd be in French and Portuguese and Italian. And, and he knew outs, languages outside of that group even. So he could read in Arabic, he could read in Hebrew. And uh, I loved talking to him. And he, he attributed it all to having a, a Latin background. He went to a Latin school growing up and um, he, he attributed all of his language ability to that. And so as Maggie was mentioning earlier, not studying other languages formally, but being able to make your way through them. I think that that's, that's kind of, that, that's what he did. I asked him if he took classes and he said, no, after learning Latin like that, he was able to, to, to get the languages. And that's probably the same thing with instruments. Um, you could probably, if you, if you really wanted to learn a new instrument, you'd be new skills or whatever. You, but but you would know the theory, you would know all of that ahead of time, and that would be a huge advantage than starting cold with the clarinet or starting cold with Italian. You may not know the whole philosophy behind all of that. So I definitely think that's a good analogy. One of, Maggie, I know one of the things you've mentioned or you've, you've said multiple times, I'm not sure if you, this, you still hold this to be true, but that there are no exceptions in Latin is what you've said said to me before yes i do believe there are no exceptions in latin i still believe that there are things that you can't explain as easily as other things but you can always come to some there's always something everything that i have ever thought well maybe this is an exception it wasn't there is a reason for it and um that's partly because one of the things I do when I'm teaching Latin is I focus on how vowels and consonants join together in different ways. And if you have that principle, you can look at any new word that you've never seen before and break it apart and figure out what it is and what it comes from. Um, so the few times where I've thought, hmm, this is an exception, it turned out there was a little bit more uh, to it that I hadn't you know, found uh, discovered yet. Um, and a lot of those come from when you're seeing the earlier Etruscan languages and they you know, don't have all those vowels. So you realize which vowels have it kind of developed, uh, had, a, had a significance early and which ones didn't. And so we always joke about the letter E by itself being a real second class citizen, sort of the natural slave of the Romans. It did the job that no one else would do and would go away whenever it um any anything else came along that was better and we've we've used that though to help decode you know new words things that you see that you don't know what this is is this a noun is it a verb is it you know how is it being used you can apply your rules and you can usually figure it out and then you can go look in the dictionary and see if you can find the root word so uh, yeah i've not yet seen an exception that would really make a difference for me because like when I, I need to understand like the whole of something when, when I'm doing it. So the more exceptions you throw out, the more, I think there's no logic to it. And then it's just memorizing all sorts of random trivia that, and that makes it super hard for me then. So, so, but the idea that, no, there's reasoning behind it and you can reason to it is like, Oh, good, good. I can, I can do, I can do this now. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's some there is trust involved and i think maggie if you if i i think that's great i haven't thought of that before but i would totally agree thinking of it in these terms and and if you have a, a teacher if your guide is telling you this that if you're the student there's always this trust thing that has to go on if you believe your teacher that there are no exceptions and you believe your teacher that you should memorize these things it will become important later on and all of that, you start to trust the language, I think. And, and that that's a big part of it's valuable. So Stephen, like knowing that there's there's reason behind all of it, and maybe you're the one who hasn't arrived there yet, but it's it's you know, it's it's you, it's not the language's 
problem or fault. I could see that appealing to folks who are mathematically inclined to appreciate that quality about mathematics, also appreciating that about Latin. Yeah, I remember a story. One of my um, students um, actually, they were they were learning French, and there were all these exceptions. I wasn't the French teacher, by the way, but uh, they were learning French, and there were all these exceptions with uh, verbs that they had to learn that had ease, and it was just this is an exception, memorize it. And that, that student was extremely good at Latin. And she came to me and she said, "There's got this has got to be, since French comes from Latin, it's got to be their application of those rules with E. And she worked it out and came up with the system so that even that verb in French had no exceptions. Wow. And it just was, I mean, that would never have happened had that student not had six years of Latin and was able to just kind of think through all of this and apply the rules and knew all the little nuances, but it made French a lot easier um, just to know those same, you know, apply those same rules, assume since they have a common origin that was a leftover. And it was. I love these stories you've been telling about your classes along the way. Do you have others that come to mind, fun stories from class you want to tell us? Well, I have um, one of my the really fun things we did this year, because when you get to a higher level of Latin, you want to actively engage the students in not just the reading and, you know, the grammar review, but in composing and creating their own thoughts in Latin. So we did, um, we've done some fun things like this year, we did a, um, a kind of murder mystery um, where everybody played a role. And they had their lines to say and things to figure out and certain things they had to add to find out who had committed the murder. And um, nobody knew anybody else's part. So we had a lot of fun with that. Um, and then we also played games where um, I would just give them words and um, they would have to respond with something. And it was like a kind of a scavenger hunt. So could tell somebody to go outside and get leaves in Latin. And first person who would figure it out would just kind of click and you'd all of a sudden see the students light bulb goes on and they tear off the screen and they'd come back in and with whatever they thought it was. And it was, it was really fun, but doing those kinds of things and just composing in Latin, those were some of the highlight moments because I could just see the complete, you know, the students just totally involved in it. Like everybody was having fun. They saw it as just you know, the most fun thing we could be doing in class. And I just loved watching that as they're figuring it out. And those, you see their little, you know, their faces would light up and somebody would dart off the screen. They'd come back and sometimes someone would come back with the wrong thing and other kids would go, no, no, no. <laughs> oh, that's so, great. Those are the fun, the really fun moments. Yeah. What about you, Jordan? I hear a lot of laughter happening while my kids are in your class. Do you have any particular stories you want to tell us? We had a lot of fun in the uh, in the the lower levels of Latin are are just full of energy and fun and and I think they're not what uh, most students are expecting coming in. But for me this year, I think probably the most memorable thing that happened in my my um, Latin four class. So these are students who who had. You know, they're they're beyond AP Latin, really. They're then they're taking it for college credit um, through Magdalene, where I'm also a professor. They they've worked it out where they get college some some college credit if they come to Magdalene. I don't know all the details. Don't really care that much. But th this is what one of the things we did in the course of reading classical authors um, was we we translated the uh, the martyrdom of um, Felicity and Perpetua and um made it made a new translation and it was amazing it was it was kind of life-changing in a way i think for the students too some of what we were seeing in there it was totally unexpected and so to read it this person uh, a, a north african saint who um who was who was executed for not sacrificing to the pagan gods and just the strength that she had to to stand up to her father and it's very graphic, very bloody. I mean, it, it was it was a, an amazing story. Um, so translating that with the idea that this has a destination, actually. And so what I'd like to do um, is 
do something similar with these advanced classes uh, over over the years and kind of put together a Colby translation of some of these early testimonies of, of martyrs. And man, it was it was it was the best thing that we've read together. And I, I read it out loud to my daughters as as I was as I, as we were translating each week, I would I'd read them the next part. And then one day we just sat down, I read the whole story to them. And this year they both um, were confirmed and they chose as their confirmation saints, Perpetua and Felicity after hearing that, which I thought was really, really awesome. And somebody, their their sponsor gave them these these little medals that they have that have Perpetua and Felicity side by side. So anyway, that, that was just, that was one of the most memorable, I think, journeys I've taken with students ever was doing that specific translation. It was awesome. Wow, yeah. Yeah, and when you do that and you spend time with it every week and it, it becomes a part of you, so those stories are ingrained in a way that's just different because you've seen all the little subtleties of the account as well. So you remember going through that and then it's it's really there. It's a really a part of you. And, and it, it, you're right about that. And it gives you this opportunity that we we did as a class. Like uh, eventually, the, like I'll have to be the the main editor and make all the final decisions. But it was things would come up like there's a part where she has a vision uh, and and she sees um, she sees Jesus and and he speaks to her in Greek. He calls her Technon, child, uh, in Greek. And so we're deciding, do, do we leave it in Greek because the account is written in Latin? Do we want to leave that specific word in Greek because it gives the feeling of what we saw? Or do we translate it and put a footnote there? Like all these, that's just one of, of many things like that every week that, that the students got really good at, at uh, knowing the issues that would come up. Because I was kind of telling them as a publication, how do we, how do we want to do this? What do we footnote and what do we leave as is. And so that was, I think, beyond that, they were so good at Latin. The Latin wasn't really the challenge. It was more, how do we make this into something for for the future? And I wanted it to be an experience like that for them. And I hope I hope they felt it as much as I did. I think they did from talking with them. But that, that's why I wanted an opportunity using Latin beyond Latin, I think. Boy, just... I mean, again, with the benefits of of that, where you're thinking about the intentionality of the words being used and just trying to keep that up. And it was making me think of just the other, the past, one of the past Sundays, St. Paul saying, nobody can say Jesus is Lord, except through the Holy the Spirit. So I, I guess it must have been a Pentecost Sunday. And at first you think, well, Jesus is Lord. Well, yeah, that that's something. But I mean, so in the you know in the Old Testament or whatever, the, the connotations of the Jews using that word, the Lord, which is the name of God. So it's saying more than just like he's he he rules my life. But no, you can't say Jesus is God, you know, and without the Holy Spirit. And so that's all lost in English, but it's still, if I think when you've developed the habit of learning Latin, you're thinking of what what's going on there. What what word must be? Because at first, when you just read that sentence, to me at least, it's like I've I've heard it a lot, so maybe I don't think about it. But when I think about it, it's like, well, that doesn't make sense to me. But then, if you think about what's actually being said, then it's okay. That does make that's profound then that it's it's not just a throwaway line or something like that so it's i think that habit that's developed is just wonderful yeah and i like that intentionality and the attentiveness too that's what we're trying to those are among the things i'm trying to cultivate yes yeah and i do i do also have to say that it's, it is amazing too when you you know we we think about the intentionality but there's also intentionality in different authors and so when you're in the upper levels of latin like Latin three and four, you'll you'll be able to see that, which is also a beautiful thing. Like um, comparing, you know, going through authors, I've had students doing, you know, Caesar, of course, uh, Cicero, um, and his Latin is much more sophisticated and beautiful. Um, we've done a little bit of Ovid, then they we've done some of the later, uh, you know, church authors. So we did Jerome, so they could appreciate this the change to the. Um, the more of the kind of the Greek forms 
of words and and some Augustine and a little bit of Athanasius and St. Anselm, or, or not Anselm, um, Ambrose, St. Ambrose. And we, we were doing all of those. And then I was really pleased because they all have little minor differences in, in their style of writing. And at the end of the year, I, I put up passages from every author and I had them go through without identifying them. Who is the, who wrote this? You know, who wrote this passage? What is unique to their style of writing? What, you know, what forms do they use? And even and that in itself is just a preparation for being exposed to all sorts of other Latin later. If you know these are these authors do it different ways, they'll put verbs in these places, they'll have a lot of participial uh, phrases, they like using cum clauses in this way, they like using, you know, the word quia to emphasize factual things. When they see that, it was just, it was a really exciting moment to watch the students looking through the little passages I put up and saying, oh, that has these phrases, so it must be this author. Oh, wait, it could also be this one. And then they would compare and they got it all right through their uh, class effort of working through that. And that's a that's something to prepare them for being exposed to later things like the perpetual infelicity, the passion account there, because that's a different style of Latin. And you you don't want you want students not to be afraid when they see that to say, it's going to be hard for the first couple lines, but it's going to get faster and better as we learn the vocabulary, we learn the style, we learn how this author, you know, writes, and then it's going to get so much faster. Um, and so it just that that ability to both have that early exposure and then the later just working through something consistently is are both really good things. And I think it kind of capstones in that fourth year of Latin when you can go through a, a, a single author and spend a lot of time on it and just see, it, it's exciting. It's just, it's a really exciting thing to see how much faster and better you get. So I would say to students who've done just a couple of years, if you pick up something and you start reading it and it's hard, don't just say after a first hour, oh, this is too much for me. You got to keep working through it because you'll pick it up, pick up the style and it'll get faster and better. I was going to ask if you had some words of encouragement for students who have just started, maybe done one year of Latin and however that went for them. <laughs> yeah, so that's great. Okay. Yeah. I think Maggie, some advice you seem to give to your students as well as they're starting is do it consistently every day. So don't, don't, I mean, just like playing a musical instrument as we talked about earlier, but even if you're not, you don't have to spend an hour and a half necessarily doing it, but just sit down and make sure you're doing it so that you, you've got the, that yeah. daily experience of. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the things I've always said to students starting out with Latin is you're, if you hold off and you do all your Latin on one day of the week, you're going to lose the benefit. So uh, even in my homework assignments, it was always, it was never do this assignment. It was spend 30 minutes every day or 40 minutes or an hour, depending on the particular assignment doing this, because that habit of doing it consistently every day for a set time, you just find you'll get better and able to do more over that um, over that time, Latin is, it is like you're exercising those mental muscles and you can't just do it once a week or once every two weeks and um, get the same benefit. And if you do more than an hour of Latin at a time when you're starting and you're still working through, it's hard work. So you burn out. So then you get to be a lot less efficient and it's discouraging if you're disciplined and do it every single day for a little bit of time while you're building up your habits, then it won't be discouraging. And um, you'll you'll actually get more out of it. Doing two sentences well in an hour, if that's how long it takes you, is way more effective than cramming 10 and spending five hours doing them. It's just, you've lost the benefit at that point. So. Makes sense. Yeah, I totally agree. It's It's, what you it's it's how much you put into it as so much of it i think sometimes students get uh caught up in others in the the process but it, it's it, the process should be consistency and whatever however you're doing it and um spending time doing it not being afraid to make mistakes um, realizing where your mistakes are so you can ask questions and kind of have fun with it i mean it's, it seems really basic but 
no one ever said, I wish I, wish I wouldn't have learned Latin. I really regret I learned Latin. So I, I think right. spend, spend time uh, in that consistent time. It makes a big, big difference, a big difference. Uh, I think that's great to make your assignments in that way. Spend this much time doing Latin rather than supply these 10 sentences, although that's, that's the way I do some of my classes. But yeah, they'll put it off and then they'll, they'll, they'll turn it in right before class as fast as they can. And it's not the same thing as even spending 20 minutes a day uh, for, for several days, even if you get less technically done. Um, it, is, it is time and, and it takes time to really get it. It, it takes time. Try. It's, it's the old Festina Lente with, with Maximilian Colby. Hurry up slowly. So stay at it and uh, stay diligent and, and it'll come. If you do it for long enough, you will get it. Yeah, that parallels so so closely my experience of piano practice, right? You can tell the difference. A teacher will tell the difference if we have uh, showed up to the next lesson. <laughs> I just spent four hours on these technical exercises today rather than a little bit every day since my last lesson. Well, okay, y'all. Can't do the y'alls. Sorry, can't do it. It's been fabulous starting the week with all y'all. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Bonnie. Thanks for having us. Subscribe to the ColbyCast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. And let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or a review. And as always, feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.